We continue to make our way through the book of Revelation and come tonight to chapter 12. And uh, <clears throat> we get to play with some, with some fun imagery. Uh, it won't be a fun time that's described, but uh, there are some fun discussions that come out of the images that we find in chapter 12. We start with uh, chapter 12 and verse 1. A great sign appeared in heaven. Uh, one of the interesting things that uh, is more trivial than anything else, uh, really, is uh, from this point on there are seven signs that uh, John points out as he uses that word. Here's, here's a sign from heaven. That happened seven times. And uh, the reason that's interesting is in the book of Revelation we have seven letters, we have seven trumpets, we have seven uh, bowls, uh, seven seals. Uh, seven is a significant number, um, really throughout Scripture, but especially you see it in Revelation. Um, by the way, just for fun, John, uh, Jesus says, I am, seven times in the Gospel of John. I am the water, I am the, the bread of life, I am. So. Uh, seven seems to be significant. Anyway, here's, here's the first of what will be seven different signs that John points out from here out. He says, a, a great sign appeared in heaven. Now, uh, what we've seen uh, in, in recent chapters is uh, what's been happening on earth. And chapter 12 is a part of one of those interludes. You remember we had, we had six seals and then there was an interlude where John talked about something in the spirit realm and then there's the seventh seal. The seventh seal is the seven trumpets. And so we see the first six trumpets and then there's an interlude before we get to the seventh trumpet. The seventh trumpet is the seven bowls, and he's going to do the same thing. There will be six bowls, and then an interlude, and then the seventh bowl. So we're still in this interlude time. Um, and <clears throat> in this interlude time, he transfers uh, the scene from earth to heaven. Uh, it, it reminds me of the old movies there where uh, you'd You'd follow the story and something would be happening in town and then they'd come on and say, meanwhile, back at the ranch, so-and-so's doing such and such. Well, this is meanwhile, back at the ranch, meanwhile, back in heaven, here is the spiritual story that connects with the physical story that's taking place and unfolding on earth. And in order to tell the story, he goes all the way back to the beginning. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. We're introduced to a woman, soon we'll be introduced to a dragon, and uh, the dragon is specifically identified for us in Scripture. It tells us specifically that the dragon is 
the adversary, Satan, right? The woman, we don't have a verse that spells it out for us, but um, it, it's clear, and, and this is one of the few things that, that most scholars actually agree on in this great book. The, uh, the woman represents Israel. When you see how she's described, she's clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. Well, when, uh, if you go back in the Old Testament all the way back to when Joseph has a dream, and you remember that Joseph was uh, uh, kind of like the, if, if you want to think of it in these terms, um, he, he's kind of like the, the final patriarch that leads to the nation of Israel. He pictures in his mind, remember he's got all these, he's got 11 brothers. He has a dream in which the sun and the moon and 11 stars bow down to him. That's one of the dreams that he has before his brothers get mad, throw him in the well. That's, by the way, one of the reasons they got mad and threw him in the well. Because it was clear to everyone there that his dream of the sun and moon and 11 stars bowing down to him represented his family. Dad is the sun, mom is the moon, the 11 stars are his brothers. And they didn't like the fact that he dreamt about them bowing down to him. So they throw him in the well, he gets picked up, goes to Egypt, winds up being in a place where he can take care of them and he provides for all of them, they all survive. And the nation then really is kind of birthed in Egypt and grows uh, to this massive uh, million person nation while they're there. And the reason they wound up there was Joseph, all right? So go back to that story and there's that, that allusion to when the nation was beginning, there was the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars. And so the, uh, John, in his vision, uses that same uh, illustration, if you will. Uh, sun, moon under her feet, head a crown of 12 stars, representing the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, those 12 brothers who became the nation. It said that she was pregnant and crying out in birth pains, the agony of giving birth, um, Jesus, uh, remember that uh, Jesus was not born to a, what we would consider a Christian family. He was not born to Gentiles. Jesus came from this nation of Israel. Jesus was a Jew. And I think that's significant because here Israel is pregnant experiencing the, the pains of, of labor and preparation, representing for us how the nation longed for, was, was, was agonizing for years and years, looking forward to the birth of their Messiah. And so a woman who is going to give birth but has not yet represents 
Israel as, uh, as we see her in the Old Testament before Jesus comes. She was pregnant and crying out, birth pains, agony of giving birth, verse 3. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads, ten horns on his head, seven diadems. Now the, uh, the seven heads, ten horns, seven diadems are interpreted um, differently by different folks. But this is, uh, this is uh, one of the signs that uh, we are told what it is. Um, in verse 9, it says that great dragon was thrown down the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. So there's no question that the dragon is Satan. Uh, what then would be the seven heads, ten horns on his head, and seven diadems? Uh, a lot of folks believe, and I think this—I think this is probably um, this is probably accurate. The seven um, heads represent seven governments that Satan has used over time to persecute the Jews, to uh, to control them, to govern them. Uh, at the very least, to actually attack them at the very worst. And if you look over time, there was Egypt, then Assyria, then Babylon, then the Medo-Persia, then Greece, then Rome, and the seventh will be the rule of Antichrist uh, toward the end of the tribulation time. And so the, the uh, dragon representing Satan has seven heads, could represent that he has used seven governmental powers in his battle against Israel. Um, ten horns uh, most likely represents the power of the Antichrist who will come, um, very well could be, some, rep, some, some believe that, that the ten uh, horns represent ten powers that will come together in the end days. Nations, perhaps, actual governmental powers that will come together. And together they will um, persecute Israel. So under the reign of the dragon, there are the seven heads each has a, a diadem, which is a crown, and there are ten horns. Again, the seven heads, ten horns, are not clearly identified for us. But we do know that the dragon himself represents Satan. Now, in verse 4, I interpret verse 4 to, uh, now that we understand who the dragon is, that it's Satan, I interpret verse 4 to go back and to start and to tell us the story of Satan, how it all got started, why there's a battle, all, all of that. So verse 4 is in my interpretation um, back before the beginning of, of time as we know it. Verse 4, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. 
And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that she bore her child. He might devour it. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven is reference to the fact that Satan was uh, at one time um, one of the greatest created beings in heaven. Uh, some have even suggested that he might have been the highest created being in heaven. Um, and, and as that great created being that we, we might call him an angel, although remember that angels have different um, categories, they have different um, ranks, if you will, and those ranks have different names. So cherubim, seraphim, uh, all of those are different kinds of angels. So he is an angelic being. And his, the problem was that he decided that he wanted to be and he thought he could become like God. Um, and so when he decided that he wanted to be like God, it was that pride that, uh, that was his undoing. Um, and there is a battle that in, ensues against um, basically Satan and uh, I think probably even back then it was Michael, but there was a spiritual battle that takes place in heaven and a third of the angels lose the battle and are kicked out of heaven. So his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven, cast them to the earth. And then he says that the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. I think over this stretches a long period of time that from the beginning, Satan has been trying to mess up God's plan for, uh, for a, a relationship with man. So at the very beginning, he goes to woman and he says, uh, hey, if you eat this fruit, you can be like God. Remember, that's, that's what Satan wanted, to be like God. So that's what he sold to woman. You can be like God if you eat this fruit, right? What he's trying to do is separate man and God and keep them separated. Then God starts making promises to this nation, Israel. So Satan's goal is to thwart all of those plans and promises, to make sure that, that the people don't receive the promises of God. And so he is watching for the birth of Messiah, just like everyone else is, because he wants to find a way to stop it. And then if that, I think that's a big picture that takes thousands of years. But then if you focus in on a very clear, small picture, remember that when Jesus was born, Herod sends out this decree and says, kill all the babies. I think that that is one of the acts that unfolded because 
the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. He's paying attention and watching so that he can mess it up when it happens, or at least try. Verse 5, then she gave birth to a male child, who was, who, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. She did give birth to Messiah. Jesus was born. And there will be a time, now he reigns and rules spiritually. There will be a time when he also reigns and rules in a physical way. Once we get through the tribulation chaos, there will be a thousand years of his rule, his reign, with an iron rod. In other words, nobody can break it. He will, he will uh, be the king instead of having a nation over here and a nation over there. And then for a thousand years, we will all be in the kingdom of the king who will reign and rule with an iron rod. But it says, um, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. You remember Jesus is born. Jesus dies. Jesus comes back to life. And then what? He is caught up in what we call the ascension. He is caught up to God and to his throne. Yeah, jump in there. Good. Good. Thank you. Isaiah who? Isaiah 66, beginning at verse 7. The first five is, is from chapter 11 uh, in Revelation stuff that talks about the, the temple and yada, yada, yada. Good. Isaiah. The next part. And there's other stuff, but I'll save that for later. All right, good. We'll jump in anytime. <laughs> Isaiah 66, then. Uh, and isn't that interesting uh, that. It's kind of like saying uh, she gave birth, but she didn't know what pain was yet. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. And it does. Um, <clears throat> so we are at six. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now, the idea there is during the 
during the time of tribulation. Remember, we are, uh, he's gone through six trumpets. We know we're in the time of tribulation. He's going to back off and let us rest for a little bit and think this thing through and see it from the spiritual realm. So during this time of tribulation, Satan is apparently... Um, kicked out from heaven even to the degree that he can't come and go. We're going to, let's go ahead to verse 7 so, so that will make sense to you. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back. What, what I think happened here, I showed you back in the beginning, um, he is Satan is kicked out of heaven. He takes a third of the, de of the uh, angels with him. Those angels now become what we know as demons. Okay? But even though he no longer has his dwelling there, he does still have access to heaven. Remember the book of Job? Uh, Satan. And by the way, that word means adversary. I'm not even sure it was intended to be a proper name when it was originally written. Just the adversary. So the, the adversary goes to God and says, there's nobody faithful, you know. There's an accusation. But he has the opportunity to come and go to heaven where he can interact and talk to God. Now what happens in verse 6 and 7 Michael and his angels, there's another war. And this time, Satan is cast away, so he has no place in heaven. Now he will never again have any access to heaven. And so what happens when, when that takes place is he gets so frustrated and angry that he starts persecuting Israel. Those are, the, those are God's people. He's been trying all this time to, to mess up God's plan for them. And now he's lost again. And so he's gonna, he, he starts taking it out on them. So back in verse 6, the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Although it doesn't say that 1,260 days is the last half of the tribulation, that's the way most people interpret this, that this is what we call the great tribulation, the last half, that Israel is going to face even worse anti-Semitism than they've ever faced before, that they will, there will be terrible persecution, but God is going to protect a remnant like he always has. These will be driven somewhere to the wilderness and he will protect them. So in verse 7, this battle takes place. Uh, Satan is thrown back down to earth with no access to heaven now. And because of that, Israel faces terrible persecution. In verse 8, he was defeated there was no longer any place for them in heaven. Verse 9, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and adversary or Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. 
he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. He keeps emphasizing the fact that he was thrown down, and I think that is signifying there that, that until now, even though he lost the major battle and was kicked out of heaven before man was even created, that, was, that happened before man even came along, even though that battle happened, he has still had some access. But here it says like three times he was thrown down, thrown down, thrown down. It means he no longer has any access. What that means to you and me is there will be a time when he can no longer accuse us. He is the accuser. But there will be a time when he no longer has access to the throne room and can no longer accuse us. There you go. Okay, good. The two twelves. Daniel 12 and Revelation 12. And Daniel tells us a great deal about these things. It, um, it is Daniel who helps us understand the role of Michael. Um, it says in verse 7, we read, The war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. Um, it is in Daniel, uh, especially chapter 10, that we find out that Michael is kind of, he's called the prince over Israel. It's almost as if God has assigned uh, major angelic beings over perhaps each nation. It's kind of like we, we grew up hearing about guardian angels. Think of it in terms that God has assigned a, an angelic being over each nation as that nation's guardian angel. And the nation of Israel's prince or guardian angel is Michael. But not only is he uh, their guardian angel, he is apparently the top angel now called in Jude, I think it's Jude 9, we learn that he is the archangel. That means the top angel. And the reason it's important for us to understand Michael is because I want you to see that Satan's contemporary with whom he battles is not Jesus. That's a misunderstanding that we have that, that actually weakens the role of Jesus. Satan is not on the same level as Jesus. Satan is nothing more than a created being who, is, who was intended to be a heavenly being and has been cast down to earthly realms and will eventually be cast even lower than that. But he is not on the same, he's not battling Jesus. He's not on the same realm as Jesus. He's only on the same realm as Michael. By realm, that's not a good word, the same level, if you will. If, they, if we were looking in, at military terms, they would have the same rank. So don't misunderstand, Jesus, Jesus has no contemporary. 
There is no being in heaven or earth or any created place. There is no being that equals Jesus Christ. Michael is Satan's equal, if you want to use think in those terms. And so Michael, with the power of God and the other two-thirds of the angels who are on God's side, are able to finally kick Satan out. Satan no longer can accuse us. And by the way, it's in Zechariah 3 that we learn of uh, Satan's role as the accuser. His job is to um, speak against us. All right, let's see where are we now. Um, He's thrown down his angels down with him. Verse 10. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. The accuser is the one who says, You're worthless because You just keep on screwing up. You don't really believe in Jesus because you keep on doing bad things. You don't really love God. You can't really make a difference. You'll never really be successful. It's the accuser. He also is the one who stands before the throne saying, God, look at that sin. Look what they're doing. Look, look at how terrible he is. Look at how awful she is. That's his role. But once the accuser is cast down, then there are no more accusations before the throne. Verse 11, and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. They, there is the brothers that is, that's referenced in verse 10. He was the accuser of our brothers. But they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. In other words, his accusations didn't do any good because they knew that Jesus had died for them and they had been forgiven because of his blood. They knew the truth. The blood of Jesus Christ had, we used to say, had cleansed them. So that's how they were victorious over him. They conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. These are, are some who even were martyred who would not sacrifice the faith when they they were put to death for it. Therefore, verse 12, Rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. So there's reason to rejoice in heaven. The accuser can no longer get there to accuse people. But there's reason for woe on the earth because now he has uh, 
he is here with, and he is ticked off. Understand that uh, if, if we've read it correctly, he only has like three and a half years here, that last half of the tribulation, he has three and a half years that he is going to kick and bite and fuss and cuss, and it's going to be terrible. But it's only three and a half years. There is a limit to his time. And so he says he knows his time is short. Yes. Yeah, we're, uh, I do. When we get to 13, 13 is backing up to where, where we just got to in 12. And 12 actually is retelling what we just did in the end of 11. Uh, it's kind of like layers if, if you want to look at it that way. Um, we're going to tell one story, but we're going to look at it from this perspective first, and then we're going to look at it from, the, and then we're going to look at it from this one. So, Revelation, like so so much of the Bible, Revelation is not necessarily chronological, so that chapter one happens first, and then chapter two, and then chapter three. You can't read it that way. Remember that we're in we're in like four chapters, I think it is. We're in like four chapters that is just an interlude in the story of the tribulation. He's just going to chase some spiritual rabbits to help us learn stuff. Is that, is that where you were headed, Larry? Is that, yeah, exactly. Does that sound right? That's right. So there, there's several different things that appear to be occurring at the same time, but you can't just read all at one time. You've got to delve into the story and then kind of piece it together timeline-wise. Yeah. I do. Right, right. And we got the two witnesses hanging out during that time, too. Well, again, in Daniel chapter 12, there's two characters that seem to be the same as these two witnesses that, that Revelation talks about. Absolutely, yeah. You remember we talked about those two witnesses. Uh, I think that's in chapter 11. We spent some good bit of time on those. That's still this same time. That's still this three and a half years. All right. So let's see, we, uh, yeah, his time is short at the end of verse 12. Now verse 13, when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Antisemitism will reach an all-time high. There, everyone will hate the Jews and um, the, uh, Satan will be working overtime. Why? I believe that Satan's hatred for the Jews is all based on his attempt to stop God. God is the one who chose the Jews and God is the one who made promises to them. And ever since then, Satan has been trying to mess all that up so that God could not fulfill his promises. If we look at it in those terms, 
it helps us understand a whole lot about our history. Why are Jews so hated when they are almost to a person so friendly? Because the great enemy wants to make wants to do everything he can to keep God from being able to fulfill his promises. So the enemy is trying to keep them from being established as a strong, healthy nation. So this backs up what, happened, what he was talking about in verse 40. Yes. Yeah. And, and see, all this is overlapping. Verse 4, um, yeah, the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that she bore her child. He might devour it. That, even back then, I think that that's talking about the coming Messiah. And he was trying to keep that from happening. Wasn't able to. And so in the, uh, in the end, the terrible persecution uh, described for us in uh, verse 13 is because he is trying to stamp them out before God can complete his plan and fulfill his promises. Verse 14, But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle, so that she may fly from the serpent into the wilderness. Um, the, uh, the two wings of the great eagle, um, I think is, is figurative language. And it, an eagle can fly and soar and get somewhere powerfully and with great strength. And I think this is saying God is going to protect them and get them where they need to be. Um, the eagle is the, uh, the king of the birds. It's the, the strongest of the birds. And so I think this is a metaphor, if you will. It's also used in Exodus 19 and 4. Um, when God brings the people out of Egypt... He speaks to them at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19.4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to my... I protected you on eagles' wings. Again, in Isaiah, um, they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings such as eagles. I think it's that same kind of... Um, uh, figurative language that God is going to help Israel get to some place where he will protect them and provide for them. If, if, if most of this takes place in Jerusalem, which is the way most folks interpret what's happening here at the end, if this is happening in Jerusalem, then it's going to get so bad for Jews that they leave Jerusalem and go to a wilderness area and are protected by God. Um, it is a place, the end of verse 14, so the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. Uh, there, wherever she is, God is going to take care of her. And again, a reference to what we believe would be three and a half years. A time, times, and half a time. And that phrase actually is a Daniel phrase that describes, again, the great tribulation. Time, times, and half a time. Three and a half years. It's kind of tortured because the same uh, reference to the 
It is interesting how he does that throughout. We see that four or five times in Revelation, and I never have really understood why. But sometimes they refer to it as three and a half years. Sometimes it's by the days. And sometimes he uses the Daniel phrase time, times, and a half a time. And I don't know, I don't know why. Maybe it's just, um, just a literary technique so it doesn't get boring. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Good. Yeah, and, and I appreciate your reference to Matthew 24. Jesus is apparently talking about this time when he says to the people of, of Israel, uh, when, when bad stuff starts happening, y'all flee, get. And he's kind of preparing them for the day that God will provide for them and protect them, if they, but they're going to have to go because it's going to be bad. And I kind of do think it's going to be a small remnant uh, based on how things happened in the past. Um, you know, there was just a few on the, on, on the, the, uh, the boat. Uh, there were relatively just a few who survived Assyria, relatively just a few who survived Babylon. Re you know, I, just, I, think, I think it probably will be a small remnant, but uh, we don't know. Whatever, who, who, however many there are of Israel, they're going to be uh, separated um, from all the, the chaos and protected for a time. But, verse 15, the serpent's not going to be, the dragon, Satan's not going to be happy with that. Remember, his goal is to keep God from taking care of his people. So, Satan's going to be upset about the fact that they're out of his reach. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. Um, we don't know if... If this is reference to uh, the fact that Satan sends armies, there are some references in Scripture to armies uh, coming into a place like a flood. I, I think there may be significance to the fact that it comes from his mouth. And I think that there's, uh, uh, there's going to be so many lies and false teachings about Israel that it's going to turn the whole world against them. I think that it comes from his mouth is significant, that the enemy is going to cause um, just a, a, a PR nightmare for them, if you will, uh, just an onslaught of lies and false teachings that will turn the whole world against them. 
But the earth came to the help of the woman. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. God will uh, protect them from even that last onslaught, whatever that is. Oh, well, that's interesting. So the, the earthquake allows them a way to get through all the chaos. Huh. Yeah, I, re I remember reading some of that at, at, at one point where uh, folks apply our current mascots, for lack of a better term, to ancient scripture. And when there's a bear, they apply it to Russia. Would that be Russia? Yeah. And when there's an eagle, they apply it to U.S. And yeah. I, I don't think I'm there, but I, I do remember reading that and, and being yeah, familiar yeah. that that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. We finish up uh, 17, then the dragon became furious with the woman because he, he, couldn't, he couldn't accomplish his task of destroying the nation so God couldn't keep his promises. So he's just so angry with Israel, becomes furious with the woman, and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. She's protected. Israel's protected. He can't get to her. So he goes and makes war with the rest of her offspring on those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. So who are the rest of her offspring? And this is where different groups might see it differently. I think these are the Christians who are, have not yet raptured. They were still Christians are here. I think these are believers, and we see our spiritual heritage. Unfortunately, there are people today who will try to get you to deny this, but you cannot deny it if you read Scripture. Our spiritual heritage is Israel. We, we can't deny that the Jews are our forefathers. I'm not sure I like that word. <laughs> but... But it, from the Jews came our Messiah. And Paul says that when we accept Christ, we're ad adopted into God's family. 
he speaks of us like being grafted into what God had already started. So we, we can't deny that Christianity came as, I believe, a culmination of Judaism, a fulfillment of the purpose of Judaism. But she, uh, so she has the rest of her offspring. Satan attacks Israel, but she's protected. So he turns to make war on the rest of her offspring. I think that is Christians. Now, is that Christians because we haven't been raptured? I think so. But it could also be people who have come to know Christ. There will be people who get saved. Remember, we got 144 evangelists <laughs> roaming around. There will be people who get saved during the tribulation, so these could be new Christians who just got saved in the last three and a half years. Either way, I think these are believers. The commands of God, what are the commands of God? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. I don't think this is a reference to Jews with the Ten Commandments. This is a reference to the other offspring, us, who have the new commandments of God which are not new. Love the Lord your God with everything you've got. Love your neighbor as yourself. Hold to the testimony of Jesus. These are the people who will be persecuted to a great degree because he's so mad he can't get at Israel. All right, what do you think? Questions, comments, interaction, thoughts? Yes. Okay, so the, the battle that takes place in verse 4? Yes. Let, let me look again because there are two that are thrown at us real quick, and I want to make sure that I am answering accurately. Yes, the, when the tail knocks out, I take that to be before Adam, before man is created. That fits in, in the... Um, uh, the, the, story, the, the part of the story that we're not told. <laughs> in Genesis chapter 1, really again in 2, we're told the creation story only from the perspective of the physical realm. We're not told what's going on in the, the spiritual realm. So somewhere, um, somewhere bef before man is created, there is this great spiritual battle that takes place. And the reason I, I'm, I'm sure of that is because the angels are created before creation is created. <laughs> I know that doesn't make any sense. The angels are created before the world is created. And we know that the angels have already had their battle before Adam is walking through the garden because Satan is already on the earth in the form of this serpent and says, hey, eat the apple. Right? But it doesn't tell us when. We just know it happened before. All right, then why, why a dragon? We've got a mythological I mean, why not a snake? Why not the serpent reference? Is that a cultural thing at that time? Uh, probably so, but also there is... Um, Again, in, in Old Testament, there are a couple of references to a sea monster um, that, yeah, yeah, uh, that is apparently a representation of Satan. 
Um, and I think what we have, it, he, you know, a, a dragon is a, a reptile. We, we kind of think a, it is kind of a serpent to the nth degree, if you will. And so I think it's saying it's the worst kind of serpent. But even then, the serpent, remember, is a way for us to wrap our human brains around a spiritual being. Um, he is not going to come in the, like, Game of Thrones. You know, he's not going to come as, as, the, as that fire-breathing monster. That's just a way for John to explain to us this is one big nasty dude. What else? Maybe the dragon concept came from the Bible. I think it. I think it did. I think he's playing off those those references to uh, a monster in the sea, um, and and building on the image that we have in the garden, where it was he took on the form of a serpent. Um, I think he's building on that. So it is yeah. biblical, but. I think John and other writers would choose that because they're trying to express the scariest thing. God has given them a vision of a very scary thing, and he can't put it into human words other than thinking up the scariest thing he could think of, which is <laughs> dragon. It's got to be hard for these folks to take heavenly realities and express them in human language. 